Hello there, my warrior friends. Hope you're doing great today, this morning, this afternoon, this evening, wherever you happen to be when you're listening. So, you know that I talk a lot about courage. And it's really interesting because there are lots of different types of courage. And I've really been examining other people's stories and talking to people and and really getting a perspective on people who have faced fears that I couldn't even imagine facing. And I think that's really important to do because we often think that we aren't courageous and we can't imagine, of course, putting ourselves in the shoes of those people. But if you were to talk to some of them, they couldn't imagine going through what you are and facing it in the way that you have. So the bottom line, though, is really courage is at the core of everything that I teach and what I believe. Because There's no question in my mind that courage is necessary to get anywhere in life. It's necessary to get through a day. Let's face it. Just interacting with people on a regular basis, driving on the freeway, just managing your life. Anything worth having, doing, or being requires it. But specifically today, I wanted to talk about the courage to share your story. And it might be in a way that is different from what you're thinking right now. So stick with me. And and by the way, I'm going to say it at the end, but I'll go ahead and say it now too. If you want some help sharing your story, get in touch with me. Send me an email at hello at ValerieSilvera.com and I'll see if there's some way that I can help you do just that. So I was thinking about this time, it was several years ago when I was out to dinner with a friend and his new girlfriend, never met her before. And so we're having normal conversation that you would have when you haven't met someone before. And, and sometimes you meet people and the conversations don't go very deep, right? Other than, gee, you know, where are you from? Nice to meet you. (laughs) You know, what do you want for dinner? But this person definitely was more of a person that would, would talk deeply. And so as conversations go with people like that, we talked about life. And then, of course, it's always, do you have kids? I mean, it's something I ask people all the time because it's it's just an interesting dynamic to everybody's life, right, when you learn more about their family. And so, of course, the subject of Jamie came up, and, and Jamie was, of course, in her addiction at the time. And so I gave her the Reader's Digest condensed version of Jamie's addiction. And before I tell you, how things went after that, let's just back up for a moment. Believe this or not, there was a time when I did not share my story with anyone. Can you believe that? I barely talked about it with my family. Partly because I was exhausted by it, right? And so when I would meet people, And they would say, do you have any kids? I got to a point where I would just say, oh, I have a son. And just talk about Sean. Because it was just too much. And, you know, as I said, partly because I was exhausted. And I guess maybe part of me also wanted to escape from my reality. But also because I've never wanted people to feel sorry for me. I've never liked feeling like a victim. It's just something that's always rubbed me the wrong way. And I also didn't want them to feel badly. So this is interesting because I have a very high degree of empathy. I feel people. 
I don't want them to feel bad. So it's not even just feeling bad for me. I don't want them to feel bad or uncomfortable or, you know, because I'm sure it would be uncomfortable. Maybe somewhere inside of me was some shame. Probably not, maybe, <laughs> for sure. And somewhere in there, even though I've, I've never been a person that was so worried about what other people are thinking about me all the time, and I'm a fairly confident person, let's face it, somewhere in there was fear. Fear that they would judge me. They would judge my parenting. Because listen, after all, I used to judge other people's parenting when I heard these stories. So it wasn't a big stretch for me to imagine, even if it was subconscious, what they might be thinking of me. And then, of course, if we got to a point of me talking about my story, I would have to say something like, and I was a good mom. Jamie came from a good family, right? I'd have to sit and qualify everything to make sure that I set the stage, that I controlled the narrative, that, that I, in some way, I guess, controlled what they were thinking. Not because I wanted to be a control freak, but because of the fear. But back to what happened. <laughs> back to what happened that particular time I was telling you about this friend of mine's girlfriend that I met. She wound up telling me a family story that involved addiction that she said she never would have told me had I not shared mine. Have you experienced that before? Other people have told me family stories, some having to do with addiction, some not. Very deep stuff. I've heard stories on airplanes, around dining tables, in the nail salon. And more than one person has said to me, I've never told anybody this much detail of my story. And it's all because I had the courage to tell mine. Now, listen, I don't just everywhere I go, I don't sit down and go, hi, nice to meet you. I'm Valerie Silvera. And guess what? My daughter was in an attic for 15 years and then she was murdered. No, I don't do that. But if you think about it, there are so many times in which these are natural progressions of conversation and then we avoid it. And perhaps you're avoiding it, too, because of the pain. I get it. I'm not suggesting that you, as I always say, rent a billboard. There was a time when I would have been very uncomfortable talking about addiction because I, I didn't understand it in the way that I do. I mean, listen, I did, I did plenty of stuff in my high school days, but you know what's really funny I just thought of on that subject of judgment? When I tell the story about that I was a party girl in te when I, as a teenager, I, I make sure to tell people now, you know what though, but I, I didn't, you know, sleep around. In fact, you know, through my high school days until I met my first husband, I was a virgin. But you didn't want to know that. But but I feel like I have to qualify that. Or I say, I graduated with honors. See, so that you don't think poorly of me. You don't think I was just, you know, running around, you know, smoking pot and, and drinking my brains out all the time. Isn't that interesting? I just realized that I do that. But I couldn't comprehend. I, I really couldn't comprehend when people talk about addiction. I remember going back to a class reunion, I think it was a 10-year reunion, and seeing people who are still partying or people that really didn't much back in the day and they're just really could tell they're, the, the drinking was an issue and you're thinking, why would you do that at this age? Come on. So you don't have to rent a billboard, as I said, 
or even be like my friend Anel, who has been so open about her story too, who has the courage, who said she talked about nothing but addiction for a while. She was trying to work her way through. She did kind of the opposite of what I did. She would talk about it, she said, to anyone who would listen and even those who didn't want to listen. It's not that many years ago that I would have been intrigued to hear someone's story of murder in the family because I've always kind of been interested in, I know it's kind of weird, but crime shows and, and stories and things like that. I think mainly because I like the justice part of it and, and also because I'm fascinated by human psychology and, and still blown away by what people will do to each other. But to be truthful, even in that murder story that I might have been more comfortable hearing about even than addiction, believe it or not, if that murder had been tied to addiction, you know, my story, and that person was a stranger, right? I didn't know them. I would have painted a mental picture of what their family was like, right? I would have done that. I would have judged. So when it was time to tell my story, I started out pushing back against this feeling in my gut because I really felt like I was supposed to tell my story. I had people ask me, how is it that you're okay? And, and that's what, how, how I wound up coming up with these nine actions. I originally called the nine actions to battle your beast that I now have morphed into the nine weapons of hope that have just, they've grown and changed. Uh, and, and, and in some ways, I don't want to say shrunk, have been refined. But I was, I, I, I literally drafted my first book. My first public published book is called Still Standing After All the Tears. But my first draft of a book and some of the concepts, by the way, that I still use today, like the old woman in the cave. And th there's a lot of different things that I kind of could have, would have, should have. All the things, not all the things, many of the things that I still use today, I conjured up with this fiction book. And the main reason was I thought it would be more fun because, you know, the topic of addiction is not fun. The topic of having your son or daughter on a freight train headed toward a brick wall. It, it, there's nothing fun about that. There's nothing lighthearted or amusing. There's nothing funny about it. And so I thought, what if I could tell that story in a different way? And so it was a fiction book. And it was going to be under a pen name. I, I made up name. It was actually the Rockin' Redhead, which is so funny. So for my 50th birthday, we were going to have it at this ranch. And it, it turned out the weather didn't allow us to, but we were going to have it at this ranch. And so we said, oh, well, there's a saloon there. We should name the saloon for the day. And um, so my, my niece, Shawnee, came up with Rockin' Redhead, Rockin' Redhead Saloon or something. And so that was, I was literally, that's the draft of my first book. And it's probably 75% complete. I don't know. I, I still like it. Maybe one day I'll do it. But I, literally, I was going to do that. And then it's kind of funny because there there I am under a pen name and everything. And then all of a sudden, I come out and just share my whole, whole story. And that might seem strange to you because you consider me an outgoing person. And I am. I mean, I literally can talk to anyone and hear about their story and interact and laugh. You know, I can do that in the produce department at the grocery store. And, and I have many times. But emotionally, I've always been a very private person. During, you know, those toughest years of my daughter's addiction, even Rich, my husband, had no idea how deeply it was affecting me. I'm sure he could imagine, but even he didn't really know. 
the depth of my despair. He had no idea how much time I spent in the walk-in closet. And now here I am bearing my soul in the way that I do now, you know, being vulnerable. That was something that terrified me. Being vulnerable terrified me. I didn't want to be that person. I wanted to be the strong person. Well, guess what I figured out? By being as vulnerable as I have become, I'm far more courageous. That takes a load of courage. So what happened was I had these book coaches at the time and it was funny. I'd met with them the week before. I was supposed to meet with them on Monday and I'd sent them all of my, my stuff for this fiction book. And we were going to talk all about the, you know, the next going forward plan. And they were going to give me their insight into it. And over the weekend, I told my husband, Rich, I, I said, oh my gosh, I just have this, this feeling that I'm supposed to tell the real story. And I don't want to, Rich. I don't want to. It was like literally God knocking on my door, right? And I said, I don't want to do that. I would rather do it this way. It'd be more fun. I could do, avoid the pain of everything. And, um, but I, I feel like I'm supposed to, which means starting all over too. I've never written a book before. So that, that next Monday when I, I got with them and they started out telling all, you know, saying this and that kind of directing the conversation. And as soon as there was a break, I said, you know what, you guys, I got to talk to you about something. I've had this, this epiphany, this feeling, and I know you're going to think I'm nuts, but I feel like I'm supposed to write the real story. And they said, oh my gosh, we're so grateful to hear that. Because we were going to try to figure out somewhere in this conversation how to convince you to tell the real story because we think it's so needed. Anyway, interesting, huh? So that's really what happened. So this emotionally private person now decides to, you know, bear her soul. And, and it's evolved over time where I've, I've shared, you know, much more about my life story, not just about Jamie's addiction. But I want to ask you something. What if someone out there needs your story, your story. What if it was you, you that helped them to get up off the mat? What if you were the catalyst for their journey to freedom? Let me ask you this. If there were a guarantee that your story could do just that, even one person, a guarantee though, guaranteed, your story is going to help this person with this. Would you step outside your comfort zone? I believe you would. You would. Because you would know there's this end point. It's going to be worth it. There's no guarantee, though. I don't, I don't have a guarantee. My friend Manico didn't have one when she started sharing her story of physical, mental, emotional, and sexual abuse. And now that I told you about earlier... She didn't when she changed the way she shared her story, when she had the courage to dig down deep and help herself become stronger and more courageous, when she started using the nine weapons way back when, when she literally embraced changing her life, focusing on her recovery, and then being open to share her story in a different way. She had no guarantee. You don't have one. None of us do. But honestly, I would be shocked if your story didn't help someone. Especially when a part of your story is healing and hope and freedom. You know, that it's not just poor me story. 
that it that it's a story of victory. In, in other words, the stuff might be swirling around you to this day. Your story's not over. You're still going through it. The storm is raging. But you found a glimmer of hope in your life. You know, you've taken this adversity and you're using it. Man, when that's a part of your story, it's unbelievable how many people you have the potential to reach, even if it just starts with one person. I encourage you today to have the courage to share your story. And if you think, well, I'm not in a place where I can, then maybe you need some tools and resources to get yourself in a better place so that you can share it in a more meaningful and impactful way. I can help you with that. Let me know how I can help. As I said earlier, if you want to send me an email to hello at valeriesavera.com, I'll let's just, you know, let me hear a little bit about you and about ways in which you might be able to tell your story or, or, or whatever else. So I hope to hear from you. Have an awesome day. And until the next time, remember your story matters. So live it courageously.